Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. You've heard me say that leadership is a people business. Well, that applies to every aspect in your organization. This includes hiring, onboarding, talent development, performance feedback, and succession planning. Many leaders, however, don't take ownership, and they try to outsource their leadership responsibilities to HR. My guest today is Jennifer Thornton. She is a former HR professional turned leadership coach. Today, we talk about the importance of leadership in hiring, developing, and growing people in an organization. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Thornton. Jennifer is a leadership coach and founder of 304 Coaching. She spent more than 20 years as an HR professional and in operations before starting her consulting business. Jennifer helps leaders and companies who are undergoing breakthrough growth and accelerated hiring patterns. She says that running a high-performance team always boils down to two things adopting a perfect fit hiring process, and developing each hire. I'm excited to have Jennifer on the show to talk more about the HR side of leadership. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. You're the first HR professional uh, that has been on the show. So this is going to be kind of fun and we're probably going to have some good back and forth dialogue. So I'm really interested in this. So, But uh, as we started off, we talked a little bit and you spent, you had a long, successful career as an HR professional and in operations. So I, that's one thing I didn't know about you before we started, but uh, you were also in operations. So you have like both sides of the fence. You've seen kind of both things, but why did you leave that all behind to start your own business? What was the, what was the genesis for that? So I think that so often in our life, we have that moment where you can remember everyone in the room, you can remember the sounds and the smells, and I had one of those. And I was working for a large um, company, and um, I happened to be in Hong Kong, and we had new executives, and the the person walked in the room, and every piece of my being said, oh, I'm done, like, this is it. Like, this is just not the direction I want to take my career. Um, I was getting to that point in my age where I knew it was the right time to kind of go out on my own. And what I had fallen in love with and where my passion, because, you know, like you said, I did operations for the first half of my career. So I woke up to my scorecard every morning, you know, high sell, you know, making sure the sales and payroll. And then I went to HR and did more of that deployment and that strategy. And what I really found is that leaders were successful when they thought about their talent strategically and when they thought about the relationships of those executives really strategically and that, you know, it wasn't just bodies and seats and it wasn't just people doing their job. It was a strategic deployment of talent. And it's what I love to do. And so that moment I was like, this is what I was meant to do. And I'm going to fly home and do that. And that is what I did. (laughs) Wow. So you just uh, said, that's it. I'm done and walked out. 
Well, I didn't completely walk out, but I would never do that on a job. Much more professional, but I worked towards it. I was gone in six months. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's good. But you, but in your yeah. mind at that point, that was the beginning of every the bit of it. Yeah, yeah, every bit of it. It was just, it was one of those moments I'll never forget. So it's funny. One of my my moment is very easy to remember too because. Um, I was working at a facility that had very low low morale. I wasn't the senior person on on that particular site, but I, my group, part of my group, was there, and um, they had an annual meeting where they were doing all the the, the goal setting for the year. Mm-hmm. And they said, "We're going to give you a gift this year." That was the big thing. And then we all show up, and they gave us a button that said, "I love my job." <laughs> I love that. That's hysterical. And it was at that point I said. <laughs> I don't think I could do corporate anymore. I think I'm done with big companies. I mean, that's just kind of a crazy thing, you know? So, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting gift. Um, but, um, but you know, all of those things, people think about leadership and those small things you think, oh, we're just going to give people a button, but we don't really think about what that means and how that may p- impact someone's decisions at work. And, you know, it was that turning moment for you and who knows who else in the room. Yeah, I think it was a lot of people after that. (laughs) So, but you know, so you, you deal with um, helping companies in their hiring process and doing it strategically and making sure they build up a, you know, they think strategically about their talent. And I really like this because I really do believe that leadership is a people business, right? And you've got to put the right team together if you're going to be successful. So, you know, what are, what, uh, what are some of the biggest problems you see in most companies hiring processes? What's, what's the biggest challenges today that you see? I think there's a few things. And, you know, one of the things I see most often is we don't get clear on the work. Like we'll do a job description, right? And we'll list Mm. out the things, but really what is the work that needs to be done? Mm. And how does that work impact others? And, you know, really before we hire someone, we have to stop and pause and think about the work. And I also see, especially in fast growing companies or when someone, a company's in um, stress, you know, they'll say, oh, that team's overwhelmed, just hire someone for them. But they don't really stop and say, is there work that needs to be moved off the plate? Is there work mm. that someone else can do? Are they overwhelmed because we are not communicating to them well? And so it's really about getting clear on the work and how are we setting up people to be successful in that work? Mm. Then once we kind of, you know, work through that process and we get really clear on the work, when we go to hire, you know, interviewing people is really interesting because you can interview for um, experience and knowledge and skill set and those behavior-based interviews and all that stuff we're supposed to do, right? You can do all that, but usually what's missing is a really um, good, high validated um you know, EEOC compliant um, assessment, because we're not self-aware enough as humans to really understand our traits. And so I think that's one of the pieces that's missing um, with most of the processes is a validated um, tool to make sure that we're covering all bases because you mm-hmm. you really can't interview for work behavior traits and decision style. Interesting. That is so true. You know, um, it's interesting. One of the one of my observations in big companies is that we did spend. It seemed like we spent a lot of work, a lot of time interviewing and trying to find the right person for the job. But then, when we gave them, you know, we we hired this really, you know, this star, right? You know, that had all the the pedigree and the experience, and and it was the perfect fit, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and we would bring them in the organization, and we'd throw them in a cubicle. And say, good luck. And there really wasn't any, um, I would say, 
leader, uh, just talent development or even talent connection. We didn't grow new hires. And, you know, over time, those hire, those new hires who were rock stars who wanted to do great things got frustrated and they moved on to other opportunities. So, uh, I think you even mentioned it, you know, in my opening, I talked a little bit about in the opening that, uh, it's about not just hiring the right people, but also developing the talent once they come in the organization. Is that right? Absolutely. And onboarding is an important piece because when you onboard people um, in a way that um, helps them acclimate to your culture, Mm. it helps them understand who their key business partners are, who their support is. You know, no one goes into a cubicle and like hides, like, you know, you don't. And so you have to know what's around you. And so I think so often we don't put the upfront work into a great onboarding plan. And we either teach them nothing and hope they figure it out, or we teach them too much in the first week and they can't remember anything. Like you have to work people into it. And then it is about that ongoing development. You know, people were... We're humans and as humans growth and, you know, taking our brain and using our brain, all that is important to us. And Mm. if an organization doesn't allow someone to expand their mind and grow and develop, even if they're in an individual contributor job that they want to do forever, you still have to be able to expand your mind inside of that. And I think that's a big piece that we miss is we Mm. don't really think about how to help people um, you know, get that learning and that stuff that they're really craving um, to to grow and to stay really satisfied within their job. Yeah, I see that a lot. I see that where we we hire somebody for their talent and their brain and we tell them that you're not allowed to do anything. You have to get my permission first, which is like drives me crazy. Like this guy's a rock star. This this uh, yeah. this girl's a rock star. Let her do what she's going to do, right? Instead, they yeah. we, we put them in a box, you know, we, we say, and you can't do anything without our permission. And, uh, yeah. and then we, you know, and then we frustrate these people and they, they all start their own businesses eventually, yeah. I think. So. Absolutely. <laughs> so. And the other thing that happens when we don't let people make decision, then they stop mm. doing it. You know, when I get a call from a CEO yeah. and they're frustrated yeah. with their talent, I first, I always say, tell me what's making you crazy about your team. And yeah. on the list mostly is they don't make decisions on their own. And yeah. after they give me the list, the next question I always ask is tell me what about your leadership creates this environment? Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Cause usually it's the case where, where they're, they're not allowed to make a decision and that's why they don't make a decision. So. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, um, you know, you, you you touched on a little bit. I mean, um, the hiring process and uh, and bringing in talent and talent development is, you know, would you say is it's a critical part of, of building and maintaining the company culture? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You have to think about the people you're bringing in because not only do you have to think about what work they'll do, you also have to think about how do we do that work. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, organizations um, are very traditional and that's right for their business and they want a, tr- a traditional, more formal approach. And so you may hire someone that has all the experience and knowledge you need, but how they want to do the work doesn't match your culture. So they become disruptive. You know, you get the reputation for not hiring well. Um, the person's not happy. And as leaders, we can't forget every single time we hire someone, we change the course of their life. That is on their resume the rest of their lifetime. 
And we have to take that really seriously. And so, you know, if you want to hire someone, don't, don't just stop at skills. Really think about how do people, you know, work that are successful in your culture? And then how do you look at your candidates and, you know, ask questions so that you can ensure that they're going to work that way too? Um, because we hire people for skills and knowledge, but we say goodbye to people because of how they actually did the work. Mm, so and, and that's the piece that we miss out in the process. So true. So true. So, um, you know, as you look at, you know, you mentioned something about going back and asking the leader the question, you know, what, what in your leadership style might be causing this problem, but what are some of the biggest challenges you see in, in company leadership today? What are they missing out on when, when it comes to talent and talent acquisition and development? So, you know, one thing that I always find that's interesting about leaders is, you know, when you think about starting a company, no one wakes up and says, I'm just going to grab a bunch of really smart people and I'm going to lead the heck out of them. No, no one does that. Everyone's like wants to start a business and then you have to hire people to run that business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, leadership isn't a business. It's, you know, but it's the critical action to create a business. And I think we always need to start to remind, remind ourselves of that. I think that, you know, the current trend that, you know, here we are closing out the end of 2020. And one of the things that I've seen, in fact, had a conversation with the CEO just last week about this. At the beginning of the year, we had to do a lot of crisis management, you know, shutdowns, yeah. closures, and crisis management is is buildings on fire, get out. Mm -hmm. No questions, no discussion, just do as I'm told. And I think our leaders got in a little bit of a habit of crisis management and crisis management only works in a crisis and it's really dangerous to an environment outside of a crisis. And so what I'm finding is that people are in that mode and now they're really damaging their um, team dynamics because they're crisis managing outside of a crisis and we have to stop that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when we talked about, I, I had a lot of um, guests on in the early stages of COVID. And, you know, it was really important that you manage through the crisis, right? And, you know, and what I was kept talking about was being present. You know, we have to be present as leaders, as our people are trying to go through this major shift and change. And, and it didn't matter what you did, what kind of career you had, you went through some sort of a change during this period. And so, you know, I always talked about, you know, being present. But even as we come out of this thing and we get into some level of, you know, normal operations. I think being present as a leader doesn't, it's still an important part of it, right? Is being there, being present, even if you're doing Zoom calls, right? So, but at least you're there and mm -hmm. connecting with people. So I think one of the sad, the sad things I saw in the early part of the, cri uh, the crisis is that people were trying to manage it with emails, trying to manage their people, you know, through emails and dictates and, you know, and it's, it's just, you can't do that. You got to be present. You got to, connect with people, even with the challenges that we have. So, yeah, but I think you're right. We're getting back to kind of, we're, not, we're out of the crisis mode or we're moving out of the crisis, but we're in a new, you know, we're, we're operating our business in a new way. Right. But so we got to get back to the basics again. We can't be, we can't be just running around, you know, the building's not on fire anymore. Right. So we got to, yeah. we got to get going. So that's, that's a really important thing. So, so you, I want to touch on something. You um, wrote, uh, wrote some, some pieces and you've had some discussions about this idea. And I wanted to talk to you about it because I saw it a lot in the companies I work for. It's this idea of companies or people being addicted to being right. So what is that all about? I, I really liked it when I heard it because I, 
I've been in those meetings where we just argued and argued about who was right versus what what we really needed to do. Yeah, I mean, you could get those people that will argue, you know, what color the sky is, you know, and mm-hmm. they're convinced it's purple, and you're like, no, it's really blue. Um, so, what's interesting about the human mind, um, and a lot of the work I do is around the neuroscience of the mind, how it takes in language, what are the chemicals that fire off, and then how does that impact our relationships and therefore our business? And so one of the things that we know from research is that when you are right, you get a dopamine hit Mm. and because it feels good to be right. You know, you're like, yes, I was smart. I made the right decision. It went well. My boss told me I was awesome. And you get this dopamine hit. Well, that's the same dopamine hit you would get if you were addicted to shopping or sugar or alcohol. It's, it's that, that chemical reaction in your mind. And if you hooked your brain up, you know, to all the little, you know, electrical things and you gave people that were addicted to many different things, including being right. And you looked at a screen and you gave them their, their substance of choice it would fire off the exact same way when you're addicted to being right. Mm. And what we know about addictions is you need more and more of that dopamine to get the same level of high. So therefore, you know, that person you worked with, it was an up and comer and always ride and got tons of accolades. And now you see them 10, 15 years later and you're like, who is this person? Mm. You know, they don't listen anymore. They're not open to new ideas. They don't collaborate. They're just not who they used to be. And it's because they are in their addiction Mm. and they have to be right. So anytime that someone else tells them a different, you know, viewpoint, then it takes away their drug of choice. And that's a problem. It really is. And, you know, it's funny because when I started writing on leadership, one of the first analogies I tried to talk about was, you know, I'm a former submarine officer. I was in the military and uh, we always said that the enemy was outside the hall, right? Whether it was the, whether it was during the Cold War, whether it was the Soviets or, or you know, thousands of pounds of seawater trying to get in the boat, the enemy was outside the four walls. So we had to operate as a team to be able to make sure the enemy stayed outside of the hall, Right. And when I worked in corporate America, it was sort of just the opposite. It seemed like the enemy was inside the four walls, right? It was always marketing's fault or or it was engineering's fault or sales promised something or QA rejected something. And it was always this fight amongst each other. And, about, and then when it came to budgeting, who was going to get all the funding for next year? Is it going to be the European team, the U.S. team? Or, you know, it was always just arguing and fighting. And I saw a lot of people fighting for just to be right or just to just to to protect their little kingdoms and you know at the end of the day we weren't focused on the enemy being you know our competition that was taking our share you know taking share away from us and and affecting our livelihood so i think it's uh i see this especially in big companies that this the bigger you get the more you get these kingdoms and you have the heads of the kingdoms fighting for their you know little piece of you know turf and it's this this fight sometimes like like you say just for to be right yeah it's just to be right and it's you know that situation you know you put 10 um you know executives at the table and you know they're all fighting for their kingdom then no one's fighting for the greater good of the organization and i see that all the time 
and they then protect their teams or not honest with team performance or not willing to help out. And if your executives around the table act that way, how do you think your directors will act? Wherefore, how are your managers and your individual contributors? They hear and see how you talk about the other group. So therefore, they're going to go, they're going to follow you. You're, they're the leader. They're going to follow your, your way of work and believe right. what you tell them to be true. And um, I think it's one of the biggest failures in corporate is that we fight for our own team. We don't fight for the greater good. Mm, yeah. And I, I, you know, honestly, I tried to fix it. <laughs> when I was in corporate America, I was, I was always the guy trying to find the compromise and try to find the, find the, you know, find a situation where we're, where you win, I win and the company wins. I was always trying to find those opportunities. And in some cases, people took offense that I was actually trying to be a peacemaker and trying to bring people together because they thought I was, well, you're just doing this just for you or something like that. And I was like, no, <laughs> actually trying to, uh, Focus on, you know, being successful as a company, not so much about my department, you know, yeah. and that was always, uh, I don't know, it's a very strange thing to me. And maybe it's because of my background in, in the military, but I just never could quite understand uh, the finger pointing and the infighting and the, the politics that went along with large companies. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of it comes from fear. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we are in fear, our primitive brain takes over. And, you know, that part of our brain was created to keep us alive and how we did that in, you know, in our, you know, early emphases, you know, it kept us in the cave and it kept us in a tribe because we could not um, survive by ourselves without, you know, shelter and water. You just couldn't do it all by yourself. Well, how that shows up in today's world is you're still tribal. And so if you feel like your tribe's messed up or you feel like you're going to get voted off the tribe, your fear kicks in and you do finger pointing because if I blame someone else, then clearly I'm safe in my tribe. You know, you make decisions around a leader because, hey, the tribal leader said, don't like those departments. It's marketing's fault, not our fault. So therefore your brain believes it. And so it's really interesting when you think about how our brains were created to keep us alive and to keep fear as the mechanism, you know, to, to keep us from dying, how it actually shows up in the workplace. And you can just see it everywhere. And it's really just how the human brain was created. And that's why I spend so much time working with people to teach them how does the brain actually work so that Mm. you can lead with the brain and not against the brain. Because we really, the 20th century leadership was fear-based. And so we create this fear and, um, you know, we put people in this state of where they really can't do their best work because their Mm. primitive brain has taken over their um, thinking. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. 
Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. What do you think about, you know, whose responsibility is it really to develop people? Is it is it HR's responsibility or should the leader be developing their people? Absolutely. The, um, the lion's share of that work is the leader. Mm. And, um, you know, I think, you know, good HR departments are talent strategists and they're there to support the leader to be a great leader. They're not there to do the leader's job and they're not there to deliver the bad news when the leader doesn't have the guts, guts to be honest. Mm. And, you know, so often, you know, even, you know, when I was in that seat in a corporate environment, I'd get a phone call, you know, Bobby didn't do his job today. I want you to go down there and tell Bobby to do his job. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pass on that, but I'd be more than welcome or happy to role play with you. And we can talk about how you can tell Bobby to do his job Mm. and, you know, really pushing back and, and helping. But I, you know, I think a lot of times leaders don't do it one because they are in fear. They don't know how to. And I always, you know, with my teams, you know, I was like, it's not about helping them fight the fight. It's about giving them the confidence and tools so that they can go and have those conversations. They can go and develop their team and you're providing um, guidance and confidence and a safe space to work through it, but you're not actually doing it. And, you know, I think really strong um, and where really a progressive HR team needs to be is that that place helping leaders be great leaders um, and HR should be a challenger when a leader is doing something and they need a safe place to think about options or um, they need to hear the truth. You know, HR should be a person who can come and keep that confidence, but be very honest with leaders and say, you know, I know, you know, here's the decision you brought to the table. I'm going to help you play these out. And I think so often HR professionals aren't willing to tell the truth because again, they're in fear of their job if they tell the Mm -hmm. truth. Um, but when I see really strong executives who take HR into their realm and create this partnership and this honesty and allow someone to just kind of be there as your second, you know, voice in your head, that's when it becomes really powerful. And that's when leaders start to grow and then they lead their teams. It's Mm. not pushed off to, you know, the policy police, you know, I've never been a policy police HR person, Um, but there's a lot of them out there and some organizations want that and that's up to them. Not how I would lead a business, not how I would do the job. Mm. Um, But I think that when you invite them in and allow them to be a business strategist with you, that's when the relationship's really great. Mm, I agree. So a uh, question, mm-hmm. and this could get us in trouble, but oh, good. what's your opinion about performance reviews? Oh my gosh, performance <laughs> reviews. 
I have a lot of opinions about them. Um, I think that they are a lazy way out. Ah. I think that, um, you know, there needs to be some kind of mechanism. If your company does merits, there needs to be some level setting. But the, these people who, you know, once a year, everyone has to go and do their performance and everyone's strata and everyone's complaining about it, that you're not, it's just an exercise. Like who, mm-hmm. like who cares? You're not making progress with the business. And so when I think about the effort that goes into performance reviews one or two times a year, what if we took that and we spread it across 12 months? And that mm. we really worked with leaders to give continuous feedback. Because if you gave continuous feedback, you don't need an end of year surprise mm. got you performance review. Um, and if you do do a traditional performance review, it shouldn't be a surprise. Anyone who is surprised at their performance review, it, the leader owns that. The leader had not or did not, you know, have honest conversations. And it's it's really unfair on that person. You know, don't show up and tell me 12 months later, you don't like what I've been doing. I've been more than happy to change it along the way. But um, I think in today's world, because we're busy, we're overwhelmed, all that stuff, we um, use it as a crutch. And when you use it as a crutch, it doesn't work. That's the right answer, by the way. I had, oh, good. I'm glad so I, got I, had, it right. I had the right Ooh. answer in my head and you got it, which is. Yes. <laughs> no, what I, would have happened if I had given the no, wrong one? <laughs> you would have been fine. <laughs> no, I just, I feel the same way about it. I just, you know, it got to be, it got to be where it was such a corporate top-down kind of thing that we did and you know it came from on high that your distributions look a certain way you can't have a certain amount of people that you know say you're grading one to four you only could have like two percent of your people were a four you should have 25 percent as a three you should have 20 you know and it was like well wait wait i you know i actually have rock stars here i did a really good job hiring i did a really good job talent development I did everything you told me to do. I have a rock star team, and yet I have a distribution where I have to have a certain amount of people that are basically on the low end and, you know, potentially not getting a raise. And I just, I never could quite understand that, you know, and when you, and then when you bring it up to the HR department, they're like, well, we're just following orders from corporate, you know, and that's the distribution curve we're supposed to have. And it's like, I don't know about that. So. Yeah, it's interesting you say that and tell that story. This year, um, I worked with a really large communication or global communication organization. And one of the things we did is we looked at their performance review process and redid it and mm. kind of blew it up and put it back together. And we did put it back together in something that felt a little traditional. But the thing, the, one of the things that we did is we removed the bell curve. Mm. That idea that, you know, 10% and 50 and, you know, that you had to have these because, and how we looked at it is there will be years where you will have a rock star team. Yeah. And a lot of, and, but then the next year you may not, because maybe yeah. some of those got promoted And this next year, you may have, you know, teams that are kind of finding their way and new. And so you may not have that. You may have, you know, some on the lower end heavy. And so instead of forcing a bell curve, we had them really think about their team collectively and what was the stage of that team and were they truly, you know, in that moment of time of, you know, excellent performance or were they at a moment of time of building and maybe the team wasn't great, Mm. but that's okay because maybe they were great last year. And again, they got promoted or it changed around, but it was that one of the pieces that we took out was the force bell curve. And then we asked leaders to really get honest Mm. 
Um, and it'll be hard, it'll be hard for them because not only do they have to get honest, they have to get honest telling someone their performance. Right. right. Well, and that's the thing, hard part. Yeah. And the other thing is the person above them has to know enough about them and their team to be able to say, wait a second, you've got all top performers in your team. Then how come you're not performing? You're, you're, your department or your business is is subpar performance. You know, so having someone enough to push back a little bit and say, okay, you know, I, there's no fell force bell curve, but yet you're giving everybody the top rating, but yet I'm not seeing the performance out of your team. Now, what's, is it, is it you? Yeah. <laughs> is it you, the leader, that's the problem? Or what is the problem? Because I think, I think we have to be able to question that if we see something, see, see something that's unusual. Mm-hmm. But I was frustrated with, when you do everything right, you hire right, you develop right, you build really good good people, and then you were told that, you know, 10% or 15% have to have the lowest rating. And I was always just like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense in my mind. So no, it made, it's a it, it made really it hard way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, it's made it really hard to lead when you couldn't lead the way you wanted to lead. And I think that's probably some of those things drove me towards starting my own business and doing it the way I want to do it. So, and by the way, I don't have performance reviews in my company. <laughs> Good. Because I talk to my employees every single day. Yeah. (laughs) And if they're doing bad, I let them know. And if they're doing great, I do the same. So That's right. uh, You know, and I think it's so powerful when you get used to having those conversations, mm -hmm. because then it's not like, uh oh, I got in trouble from my boss today. It's like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to grow. Um, I also find that organizations that celebrate failure, they grow faster because it says to, cause you know, the opposite of innovation is, you know, kind of failure, you know, so mm-hmm. you can't innovate if you're not comfortable with failure. And so I love when I talk to people and they're like, I want a really innovative team. And I'm like, fantastic. When they screw up, what are you going to do? Well, they yeah. better not. I'm like, well, then they're not going to innovate, yeah. you yeah. know? And so when you have those constant performance conversations, it be growth becomes okay and it becomes celebrated and then you're building a culture of growth because people are honest about how they're doing or how their peer is doing and and it just really changes the culture that way Mm, absolutely i've seen a culture where we had a ceo that said you know move fast fix it along the way and he said the worst thing you can do in my business it's not making a wrong decision or making the right decision it's not making a decision he said he said make a decision and fix along the way and he had an organization that was very nimble. We had a very small corporate staff and we were growing like crazy. And um, it's because he gave the power as low in the organization as possible. And he had grace and forgiveness for when you made a mistake. He said, fix it. If you make a mistake, admit you made a mistake and fix it. That's, that's what I pay you to do. And I loved working for this guy. He was my first CEO coming out of the military. And this guy, like he got it. He understood how to run a global organization. We were running hard. And as a, as a young general manager, man, I felt like this was, this was fun. I had my own business. I was running my business. I made all the decisions on my own. I didn't have anyone from corporate looking over my shoulder. And we set records in, in growth and profitability. And then, uh, you know, that same company culture 10 years later was all top down and, you know, metrics and, and you had to get permission for everything. And we, and, and if you failed, you were let go. And so it, the whole culture changed in that company just by a change in CEOs over the years. And it was really disappointing to see that. Uh, but one man could make a difference or one CEO, one leader can make a difference in an organization by just that culture they put in the entire organization. So, 
Yeah. I know it's so interesting when you talk to people and they expect perfection from their employees every Mm -hmm. single hour of every single day. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure on someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you expect perfection, you're never going to, you're just not going to see anything new and um, eventually it will burn out. Mm. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I, you know, I, you know, my team today and my team in the past, um, internationally, you had to get really used to messing up because man, a lot of stuff got lost in translation. And so you would direct a team and then you go and you'd be like, um, okay, that's, but, and they would say, but you said, and I'm like, yes, that word in English has four definitions. I picked this one. <laughs> you picked that one. Not a problem. Now we know, and this is what it's going to look like. Right. Um, so you had to get just really comfortable, um, you know, messing up and yeah. being, giving yourself grace and giving people grace around you. And yeah. then it became okay. And therefore people were more o- open and honest. I like it. I love it a lot. Well, very good. Um, so 304 coaching, what is that all about? What do you do in your company? So at 304, we focus on talent strategies and we come in, we look at your business, we help you with your business strategy, figure out where you're going and what does that mean for your team? And so we make sure we have um, a great um, hiring tool, OAD, we have leadership academies and we do executive um, and mid-management coaching, um, performance development coaching. So a full suite of just talent strategy and um, we have a really great time doing it. Excellent. So what are you working on these days? What's what's on the slate today? Oh, what I'm working on right now is a um, leadership um, academy um, for um, directors and above that's focused on um, conversation intelligence, which is about understanding our language and the neuroscience of the mind. Mm. And when I think about where we're going in the world, like we have to get... Um, we have to get smarter with how people actually work and get and get the most out of them and really helping them understand that. So we're working on a new academy. So we're really excited um, and putting the research into it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wow, it sounds great. I think it's really needed today too. So excellent. So um, how can people find out more about you, uh, your company and all your coaching programs? So you can go to 304coaching.com. We have lots of resources you can download for free there. And then love to connect with your listeners on LinkedIn at Jen Thornton ACC. Okay. And we'll put all the links in our show notes so that uh, everyone can find it okay. Well, this has been good. This has been a great conversation. You know, when we first booked it and you're the first HR professional uh, on the show. I, so wondered how, I, w- I was wondering how it was going to go since uh, some of us in the leadership community sort of in the HR community, sometimes don't, don't jive. But I think you, you know, you touched on a lot of the right things is that it is really true that the hiring and the development of your talent is just absolutely critical to the performance of your business and to maintaining your culture. And it's, it's one of the number one things I do as a business owner is, is managing the group of people that I have working there and, and being really careful when I add to that. That's really, really important. Uh, and so I think you're, you hit on the right things and you had the right answer when it comes to performance reviews. So you, you, you passed, passed the test. The test. <laughs> so you passed the test. I got a dopamine hit for that, by the oh, way. Oh yes, you were right. Yeah. So. <laughs> it felt really good. I'm going to try to be right later on too. <laughs> yeah. And I like that. I like that whole discussion about being, you know, the, the, uh, being addicted to being right in that. And, and the, the downfall of that is that, well, if you might be right, but then it's not the right decision for the company and that's a bad thing. So. So I think you left us with a lot of things to think about. And, um, and I think you gave us a lot of good, uh, good insight today. 
Well, thank you so much. And I'm honored to be the very first HR professional on your podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm sure someone's going to point out that it was somebody else, but I'm pretty sure you're the first. So <laughs> I'm going to go with it. I'm going to stick with I was. I am too. I'm going with it as well. So very good. Well, uh, Jennifer, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was a ton of fun. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Till next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care.